0: Well, hello, everybody. My name is Chris Redfin. I'm the youth and children's worker here at St. Joseph's. Before we start to look at our psalm, why don't I pray for us? Father God, you are amazing. Help us today to see how amazing you really are. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, let me start off by asking you a question. Has God been good to you? Has God been good to you? Maybe it's not a question which we often ask each other, but it's probably a question which we think about uh, to ourselves quite a lot. Last time I preached at St. Joseph's was back in December, uh, the Sunday after Christmas, and we looked at our planning and we saw that we should plan humbly and hold loosely to our plans, knowing that our plans will only happen If God wills them to. Now little did we know. That a couple of months later. All of our plans would be thrown in the bin. And the new normal would arrive. One which we could never have expected. uh, And could um, uh, never have planned for. And yet one that nevertheless. God was in complete control over. So has God been good to you? Has God been good to us? I don't know what your last um, six months has been like. I don't know what blessings you've had, maybe your time with family, uh, clear out at home. But maybe it's been a real struggle these last six months. Increased anxiety, increased stress, loneliness, maybe even grief and loss. So has God been good to us? Has God been good to you? These questions are even more hard to answer when we consider how successful some people are who don't trust God and uh, don't want to live for him. You know, some people around us who don't love God have had a great time in lockdown. You know, they've learned new languages, uh, kept their jobs, maybe even got richer. Or maybe it's got nothing to do with, with coronavirus for you you've always asked those questions. Why God? Why do the wicked succeed? Why is it that uh, the person at work who lies and cheats gets the promotion that I wanted? Or why is it that the kids of parents who don't love Jesus at our school do really well, whereas my kids get bullied? Or maybe it's, God, why do you give the gift of children to parents, to some parents who will end up neglecting or abusing those children, whereas there are some godly Christian couples who can't conceive? Why God? Has God been good to you? I don't know what makes you ask that question. This was a question that Psalm 73 uh, is looking at. The psalmist is wrestling with this question. And wrestling is the right word. Um, You can hear it as you read it, that the psalmist is battling between two opposing thoughts in his head. In fact, he says in verse two that he's almost stumbled, almost slipped from trusting that God is good. I wonder if you can relate to that wrestling. You, you feel like you're close to giving up, close to stumbling, close to slipping as you consider whether God has been good to you. What's the reason for the psalmist's struggles? Well, he's looked at those who hate God and do evil, and he's envied their success. Have a look down at verse 3. He says, For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. The wicked here refers to all those people who don't recognise God as king. The psalmist looks at how successful those who oppose God seem to be and he's wondering, has God been good to me? Pride is their necklace, violence is their clothes, they speak evil about God and yet they're fat with good food. They just sit back and they get richer and richer and they even taunt God about it. And as the psalmist tries to understand how God can let all this happen, he finds it wearisome. He's so close to stumbling. And what's going to pick him up? What's going to encourage him? What encouragement can he find in these difficult situations? Where can he go for answers? And where can we go for answers? Well, everything changes in this psalm in verse 17, when the psalmist says he comes near to God. When he comes near to God, he gets his sudden realization of an understanding of what's really going on. And the psalmist understands these three things which we're going to look at for the rest of today's talk. Firstly, he understands the end for the wicked. Have a look at verse 17. It says, Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. It may seem like you've nearly slipped from trusting that God is good, but you won't. It is the wicked who will fall. The justice which we long to see on earth, but so rarely see, will be done by God. It may seem at the minute like the wicked are getting away with their sin, but that won't last forever. All sin will be accounted for. So the colleague who's making money out of lies and cheating will get justice from God. The people who bully our children or abuse their own they will get justice from God. Even those corrupt dictators who build palaces for themselves while their people starve, they will get justice from God. It may look at the, like at the minute, like they're the ones who are winning. It may look like there's no consequence to their sin. It may even look like God is rewarding them for their sin. But no, they will slip, not you. As we come to God... In his sanctuary, as we approach him, the closer we get to him, the more it becomes clear. The perfections of God mean the wicked won't stand even for a second. I wonder how your sleep has been over these last few months. Certainly the start of lockdown, I'd wake up from dreaming. And for the first two or three minutes, I was still in the dream world. I'd totally forgotten everything that was going on around us. Then suddenly it would hit me. And I'd remember the painful reality of what was happening around the world. Well, this in verse 20 is the experience of those who've done evil and thought nothing about God. They're in a dream world and God's judgment has not yet woken. But it will. And they will see that they're on the wrong side of it. So firstly, justice and judgment on evil will come, even if it looks unlikely at the minute. Well, secondly, as the psalmist comes near to God, he understands that he doesn't deserve anything from God. Have a look down at verse 21 and 22. Here he says, when my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. This confession of what he's been like towards God helps us to see that the psalmist knows that he doesn't deserve anything different than the wicked do from God. He also deserves judgment. He's been brutish and ignorant like a beast towards God. This psalm, you see, is written for God's people to sing. Not perfect people to sing. No, people like you and me to sing. Sinners, brutish, ignorant beasts who in verse 26 uh, have hearts uh, that fail. We know that's true of ourselves, don't we? Painfully true. And yet, that makes what God has given us all the more amazing, all the more surprising. We can look back at this psalm through the lens of what Jesus has done for us on the cross We can see even more clearly than the psalmist that God, in his great mercy and grace, has not given us what we do deserve, punishment for our sin, has instead given us something that we don't deserve. But what is it that we have been given? What is it, this amazing gift we've been given by God? Well, that is the third thing that the psalmist understands. And thirdly, after coming near to God, the psalmist understands what God has given him. And if you're trusting in Jesus, God has given you this too. What's the gift? God himself. Have a look down at verse 23 and 24. It says, nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterwards you will receive me to glory. The blessings in these verses are just amazing. The psalmist is with God continually, verse 23. I don't know if you've ever queued up for hours to meet your favourite footballer or singer or author. And you get to the front and you get basically four seconds with them. Uh, you could probably relive those four seconds now in your head. Uh, it was precious time with someone who's probably not going to spend their summer holidays with you. It was a valuable time because this person is special, really talented in some way. Well, this is just so different to God. We get to be with God continually, continually close to him. You see, we aren't going to spend eternity in a queue waiting for a brief encounter with God. We get to be with the maker of the universe continually. Now by his spirit and then face to face. Now, if that doesn't excite you or astound you, then you haven't grasped how amazing God is. His power, his beauty, his kindness, his holiness You see, he will never get boring. We will never fully comprehend how great he is. We will always be learning. And not only that, but uh, not only is he constantly with you, but the Psalmist says that God will hold your right hand. Like a father holding his daughter's hand as they cross the road. It's an intimate relationship that you get with God. A two-way relationship where he enjoys being with you and you enjoy being with him. He holds your hand like you are his. His pride and joy. And he will hold your hand guiding you. So if life seems burdensome and the wicked seem like they're succeeding, well, look down at your right hand. God hasn't let go of it. He's got you and he will not let you go. And that's not even all of it. He's our counsellor. Not only do God's people uh, have God with them continually, holding their right hand, they've got God's spirit living in them as their counsellor, as their guide. And look where God's counsel will lead them, will lead his people. Unlike the wicked who will face terrors in the end, God's people will be received into glory, verse 24. We saw in our Revelation series what this uh, will be like. And just like those scenes in Revelation 4 to 7, this glory, this place God's people will go after they die, it's glorious for one particular reason. And we see this reason in verse 25 and 26. My two favourite verses in the whole Bible. The psalmist says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth there is nothing that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So I wonder, what are you most excited about glory, about heaven? Have a think. John Piper, the famous American preacher, uh, famously once asked this question. Would you be satisfied to go to heaven Have everybody in your family that you want there. Have all the health and restoration of your prime and have everything you disliked about yourself fixed. Have every recreation you've ever dreamed available to you and have infinite resources and money to spend. Would you be satisfied if God weren't there? Clearly, this question is uh, silly in some ways. Uh, It's not possible to have a place with all those good things without God himself. He's the source of everything that's good. But I think it's a helpful question to ask as it exposes when we might have made good things into God's. If we're more excited about anything other than being with God in heaven, as I said earlier, we've misunderstood his power, his beauty, his kindness, his holiness. You see, we were made, we were designed, we were built to enjoy God. And so being with him forever will bring us pure joy, one that we won't get bored of and we won't be distracted from. That view that we saw in Revelation of all those thousands of people from every tribe, tongue and nation worshipping God uh, 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 on the throne they're not there worshipping God because they're on some heaven doodle pole or, or rotor or church suite rotor where they've been assigned that that's a time when they're going to worship God. No, that's exactly what we will all want to do most when we are able to be with God in heaven. We'll want to be praising him and enjoying him. Our song will be, whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth there is nothing that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So this should be our prayer when we face trials. When those around us who don't love God seem to be winning, we need to pray to God and remind ourselves, we have God. And we are satisfied that he's our portion forever. So if our lying and cheating colleague gets the promotion we wanted, we can come to God and remember God has been good to us. We have the immeasurable riches of knowing Christ, of knowing his love for us, of being united to him and therefore with God continually. We have so much more than a promotion could offer us. Or if we can't have our own children when those who don't love God can if we can't ever hold our child's hand, we can remember God has been good to us. We get to hold the hand of the King of heaven, experiencing the same depth of relationship uh, as, uh, as you would with your own child, but with the God who's been father for all eternity. And if our children are bullied at school, it doesn't feel like a safe place for them in the same way it seems to be for those who don't trust God. Well, we can remember that God has been good to us and to our kids. He's given us and them a sure and certain hope of eternity with freedom from danger, freedom from pain, freedom from tears and suffering by his side, where together we will gaze at his greatness. So finally, the psalmist sums everything he said up by saying this. Verse 27. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. St. Joseph's, it is good to be near to God. He is the source of all joy. So enjoy being near to him. Revel in it. Enjoy speaking to him, listening to him, worshipping him, speaking about him to others. Make him your refuge. He is where you will be safe. The wicked, they may have earthly riches, but what we have through God's grace is so much greater. We have God himself. He has been good to us. Let me pray. Father God, we are sorry that we doubt that you have been good to us. We are sorry that we value earthly treasures, things you have created more than you, the creator, the true treasure. We have been brutish and ignorant like a beast towards you, and we don't deserve your mercy and grace. So we thank you so much for your mercy and your grace. We thank you that you have given us the all-satisfying gift of yourself. We pray the words of the psalm. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Amen.